like to uh, thank Pastor Z and the leadership of the church for giving me the opportunity to uh, share uh, the word with you this morning. How are you? Good morning. How's everyone? Um, let me read 1 Peter 3.15 and we'll just pray and go into the word. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your awesome presence in this place, Heavenly Father. Thank you for the finished work that you have provided us so that we can become sons and daughters. Heavenly Father, as I speak my message, Heavenly Father, I pray for open hearts and minds. And I also pray that I may be able to speak as you want me to speak, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The text that I just read encourages us to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. We have an, an amazing hope, a, a treasure in jars of clay. But sometimes we, you know, we know what we believe, we understand what we believe, but we find it difficult to... Uh, properly articulate what it is that we believe. Sometimes when we're sharing the gospel with someone, we say, you know, Jesus saves. And they would say, yeah, I, I believe that too. You know, uh, we, we would say, Jesus died for your sins. And they would say, yeah, yeah, I believe that as well. Or you could say something like that, you know, we need, we need to live a holy life. We need to fear God. And they would say, yeah, I, I believe that as well. And sometimes uh, we end up agreeing with them and not be able to properly express what it is that sets us apart you know is our is is the difference between us and others just the fact that we don't drink and smoke uh is it just our style of worship are we known more by what we don't do than the value of the message that we have uh so we need to be a community that properly articulates the the valuable message that we have in our hearts because people need it amen so today I want to talk to you about one of the ways uh, to share the gospel uh, in a way that after you finish the conversation that they can have a clear picture of, uh, of the gospel message. I'll also be sharing my personal testimony alongside that, uh, uh, alongside my message. And I hope that at the end I would have inspired you to go out and share the gospel with someone. Amen. So before I go into my message, I just want to give a disclaimer. So this is not like a formula that I'm giving you that you can go and replicate, but it's just a set of principles. So when we always approach someone, we always have to start from the context of where they are. Where are they coming from? Where are they now? You know, we have to see that. Also, it is our responsibility to clearly uh, uh, communicate the gospel message, but at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit that changes hearts. Amen? Uh, so... I just want you to keep that in mind. Uh, also, I have a lot of scriptures, so hang in there. So just to start from my story, uh, I started using different substances like smoking and uh, taking drugs at the last year of my high school year. And then that continued for, the few, for a few years into my college years 
to the point, I was in Jumma University, to the point that uh, uh, after a few years, my grades had finally hit rock bottom and I was expelled from that school. Uh, so, you know, I assumed myself to be a good person, but uh, at that point, I, I said to myself, maybe my life is not on the right track. You know? So, you know, so that was when my uh, quest for spiritual answers started, and I started, uh, the first thing I turned to was Eastern meditation, and, you know, I got tired of that after a few months. And then one day I was at a chat place, you know, I was doing chat and I, I ran into a friend from Jumma and then I said, hey, how you doing? And then we were just catching up and uh, I asked him, so what's new in your life? What's going on? And then he said, well, you know, I gave my life to the Lord last week. And I was like just laughing and I'm like saying, you're sitting in a chat place chewing and you're telling me that you've given your life to the Lord? And he's like, what do you know? You don't know anything. Uh, plus, it's only been a week. And then he never, <laughs> he never really witnessed to me, never shared the gospel with me. But he said, you know what changed my life is this book. It's Miles Monroe's book called Rediscovering the Kingdom. You have to read it. And then I was like, I was, I'm like, I have to get that book and I have to read it. And um, so... I started reading that book and God used that book as an instrument to answer a lot of questions that I had at that time, which I'll go into uh, through my message. But one thing that really stood out before at, or at that time, I only saw God within the box of religion. But when that book told me that I can have a personal relationship, just me and God, that was a revelation for me that I never had at that time. So let's go to Genesis 1.26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all creatures. So that word image, uh, at that time I thought meant like a physical image. But the, the Hebrew word is talking about characteristic. We are made in the image of God. That is what gives us value. That is what makes us more, what, what makes a human life more valuable than any other life is the fact that we are made in the image of God. Uh, it also tells us that uh, ruling and managing is our mandate. Uh, sometimes people say, you know, if Adam and Eve had not eaten of that fruit, we wouldn't have to work. But I beg to differ because in Gen Genesis 2.15 it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So there was work and taking care of things before the fall. Now let's look at Genesis 2, 16 and 17. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now another question that raises uh, here is that why was this command given? If God hadn't given this command, they wouldn't have eaten the fruit and we wouldn't be in this mess to begin with. Have you guys ever asked that question? In summary, this can be answered in worship. Amen? So we are beings made in the image of God and not robots. All right? So, since we are made in the image of God, we are free to choose. 
so uh, we can we have to also accept the consequences but if there is no command to be broken then there is no worship to be given and if there's no worship to be given there's no relationship to be chosen and relationship not chosen is not relationship at all love can only exist in the scenario where is there's an option not to choose it amen so when we realize that we've been given an invitation of love uh, from God and we are free to accept that, having the choice of not to, then that is something that becomes valuable. Worship is not only what we do on Sunday morning, but it's something that we do 24-7 where we have options all week whether to glorify God or not to glorify God. And having that option, choosing to glorify Him, becomes worship. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now raises another question. We're saying, okay, so they ate the fruits. God is all-powerful. God can do whatever he wants. Why didn't he just forgive them? Why did Jesus have to die a gruesome death for relationship to be restored? God could have just said, didn't I tell you not to eat of that fruit? All right, I'm going to let it slide this time. But next time, you better not eat of the fruit. You know, why didn't he just say that? Why did Jesus have to come and die? Um, I'd like to read a quote uh, from uh, uh, John Stott's uh, the book, The Cross of Christ. It says, God cannot deny any part of himself because he is perfect. He cannot contradict himself. He is always himself and never inconsistent. If he were ever to behave uncharacteristically in a way that's out of character with himself, he would cease to be God, and the world would be thrown into moral confusion. No, God is God. He never deviates one iota, even one tiny hair's breadth from being entirely himself. God is a God of integrity. He doesn't just up and change his mind. He stays true to his character. If, if, you, if you look at the story, when they ate of the fruit, it says immediately then their eyes were opened. Then they realized they were naked. There was no gap in between for negotiation. It was just like gravity. It's an inbuilt rule. So the issue is God hates sin. God does not tolerate sin. But also God is love. So his integrity would not allow him to tolerate sin, but his love would not allow him to see us perish. So the cross is the intersection of God's mercy and God's love. Amen? So God, we see how serious God is in keeping his word and keeping true to his character that he went to the extent of sending his one and only begotten son to die on the cross for us so that he may stay true to his character. What does this show us? It shows us that we can now take God for his word because we know what extent God is willing to go to keep his word. Amen? Uh, Right there, in Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Who is the offspring of the woman? It's Jesus. Few verses after the fall, we see God's love in action. He promises the restoration right there. Amen? All right, let's go to Genesis 5, verses uh, three, let's look at verses 3 and 5. 
It says, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Verse 5 says, altogether Adam lived a total of 930 years and then he died. What does it mean to say that Adam had a son in his own likeness and in his own image? Uh, I have a four-month-year-old baby and when people see him they say, oh, he looks like his father. Oh, when he smiles, he looks like his mother. I mean, is he, is, is, is he talking about physical likeness? No, that's not what he's talking about. First Thessalonians 5.23 tells us that we are spirit, body, and soul, right? So, in Genesis 2.17, it says that when you eat of the fruit, you will die. Okay, but it says, Genesis 5.5 says that Adam lived 930 years. So, if they died in 2.17, what died in 5.5? They were spiritually dead when they ate of the fruits but their soul and body continue to live for 930 years, right? Uh, let's look at Psalms 51.5. This is a chapter of David's repentance. And verse 5 uh, says a very interesting verse. It says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, uh, different theologians interpret this differently, but for my understanding is we're asking the question, okay, how can David be sinful in his mother's womb? You know, how can he be saying, you know, as a baby, he is sinful? This establishes that sin is not an act, but an identity. It's something that we are born with. Uh, one example you can see is you, you need to teach your children to say please and thank you and to, pro to behave properly, but you never need to teach them how to break things and how to <laughs> disturb. I see an amen over here. <laughs> so establishing that sin is an issue of identity allows us to look for a problem uh, to look for a solution that addresses sin as an identity, you know? So we, can, we cannot fix on the behavior uh, space what we need to fix on the identity side, all right? So it's possible to be a sinful person and do righteous acts, and it's also possible to be a righteous person but be found doing sinful acts. These two things are different, even though it's not recommended. <laughs> So sin is an identity that we are born with, and changing our behavior will not change our identity. All right. So if we've established that uh, our need to be saved and that we need to be spiritually alive, then how do we go about doing that? Uh, now when we look at uh, John 3, about where Jesus talks about being born again, it makes more sense when we understand that uh, the issue of sin is an issue of identity. John 3, starting from uh, verse 3, says, uh, you know, Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night and asks Jesus, how can one enter into the kingdom of God? And Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Then Nicodemus asked, how can someone be born if they are old? Surely they cannot enter in a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So what Jesus is saying is that if you are born a sinner, then you need to be born again to be born righteous. 
So God is a spirit. So notice where it says that flesh gives birth to flesh. We are born from our uh, human father. And then again, we are born from God, our spiritual father, a second time. All right? So uh, when we are born again, then we become alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when God sees the earth, he doesn't see a thousand types of religions, or this religion and that religion and this difference. No, he sees two kinds of people, one who are spiritually alive, who have the Holy Spirit, and one who don't. This is, we need to frame our, our view in that, in that side. So, being a Christian is not an issue of religion, but it's an issue of identity. Uh, it's not about improving behavior. When we become spiritually alive, something tangible, not just in the, in the conceptual stage, but something tangible happens inside of us. Amen? So we are, that's why we are new creations, not improved creations. Amen? Um, so what is the gospel message? Let's, let's look at Ephesians 2, starting from verse 3. So it gives a summary of, a good summary of the gospel message. It says... We were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And then we go down to verse 8. It says, It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one would boast. So the message, this is the message of the gospel, that the sinless Lamb of God carried the sin of the world and he paid the sacrifice for us so that we, by putting our faith on the finished work, may receive that free gift of life for free. Amen? So we do not earn it, but it's a free gift. So faith in Christ equals salvation. All right, that's the first formula that I want you to have. Um, I, I want to use these formulas in the middle so that I can, it can help you better understand. All right? Faith in Christ equals salvation. That's why in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whosoever believes, not, not uh, achieves or not attains, but whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen? Uh, so it's... Um, when this message is uh, preached, a number of questions arise. Uh, it's our human nature to do something. We want to contribute. We want to earn. You know, we, we, we sometimes find it difficult to just accept a free gift. So uh, this raises one question that raises is that why was the law given if it's a free gift? If we do not keep, need to keep the law, if it's by faith only that we are saved, why was the law given? Romans 3.20 answers that question by saying, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. All right, what, what is he saying? The reason that the law is given is so that we can be aware of our sin, so that we can be conscious. And then that will lead us to look for a savior, you know? The law is, uh, the, uh, Paul says, the law is a tutor that brings us to Christ, you know? The, the law is given to us so that we, if we try to achieve the law, we see our inadequacy, and then we are able to come to God and say, I can't do this, I need your help. God was not surprised when we were unable to keep the law, 
But he knew that we're unable to keep the law, but he gave the law so that it can bring us to a point to say, I can't fulfill the law. I need you. So Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at the change in the language. He says wages of sin. What's a wage? It's a salary, something that you get when you do some work. Sin is your wage. But then he switches. He says the gift of God. See, gift is not something you earn. It's something you just get from someone who loves you. Amen? So God knows that we can't keep the law. The law is perfect. God's law is a reflection of his character and it's perfect. And we cannot attain it. But the reason that he gave the law so that it can serve as a mirror to show us our inadequacy so that we can go to him and ask him to save us. Amen? Um, so continuing in my, in my testimony, so after I you know, read the book and I was reading the New Testament and after I understood the gospel message, I was excited. I said, yes, this is awesome. You know, I want to give my life to the Lord. But first I said, I have to get rid of this addictive behavior. I have to fix myself before I go, I go to church. How can I go to church while I'm still an addict? That God will not accept me in that situation. So I started a regiment and I said, okay, I'm only going to drink once a week. And, you know, like, I was doing these things. And then for a couple of months, I actually improved a little bit. I was spaced out, you know. And then in the summer, my friends came from Jimma and everybody, somebody's calling, oh, so-and-so came back. Oh, let's, let's welcome him. And you know what welcome means, you know. And then, you know, before I knew it, I was back in the same place. And then I was, I was uh, uh, reading the New Testament, and I, I came across Matthew eleven twenty-eight, where it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But the way I was reading it was, you better not come until you get rid of your burdens. First fix yourself and then come. You know. And then I said to myself, I decided, I said, this Sunday I'm going to go to church. I'm going to give my life to the Lord. I, I don't care what situation I'm in. And it is making that decision that gave, enabled me to be transformed. So another issue that comes up here is when people understand this message and they say, okay, I'm not saying that Jesus didn't die for me. I believe that. I'm not saying that uh, I don't need forgiveness. I do need forgiveness. But I need to continue uh, adhering to the law to ensure my salvation. You know, I need to contribute. I need to do something. So... Uh, Paul answers this in Galatians 2.21. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. What's he saying here? He's saying that when we add our work onto the finished work of Christ, it nullifies it. It multiplies it by zero. So, you know... uh, it cancels out the grace. So, second formula I want you to see is faith plus works is equal to zero, or faith plus works is not equal to salvation. I don't know if we're getting, yes. All right. Isaiah 64.3 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. 
All, right. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So when we try to add our own works onto the finished work of Christ, what we're essentially saying to God is, you know, God, I know that you sent your one and only begotten son to die a gruesome death on the cross for me, and you have said it is finished, but I feel I need to add on to that in order to complete it. So here's my work on top of that. Do you see how that offends God when we try to add on to the finished work? So we need to... Uh, uh, be able to receive and accept the finished work of Christ because that is the truth of the gospel when we add to it We are nullifying it right? Then immediately the question that raises here is that Okay, then if you say that it's a free gift of grace and all I have to say is I believe Then I can live however I want and then there would be no consequences You know that's the natural question that, that comes at this point. Paul anticipated this uh, question while he was exposing the gospel in the book of Romans. And Romans 6, starting from verse 1, says this. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Or in another version, that we too may walk in the newness of life. Amen? So what, what is he saying? When we receive the new life, we have partaken of the life of God. There is something tangible that happened inside of us. And that tangible life change changes our appetite and changes our tendency, changes our propensity. Amen? Uh, so it's not like rules and regulations that keep us intact, but it is the fact that we're new creations. Uh, there's a story about uh, a lion who was approached by a group of scientists and they said, you know, we see that you're always eating meat and we don't believe that this is healthy for you. You know, you should, you should try intermittent fasting, keto diet, and you have to be vegetarian. He didn't, he didn't buy the intermittent and the keto, but uh, he said, I'll, I'll try this vegetarian thing. I think uh, that might work for me. And so he starts eating grass for a while. So after a few weeks, he was eating grass, and then he sees a deer. And then he's like, oh, I can't do this anymore. And then he grabs the deer and eats the deer. But imagine this scenario, if the lion was born again and becomes a sheep, would you have to argue with the sheep, you have to eat grass, grass is good for you? No, no, you don't have to do that. It comes naturally with the appetite because they are born again. Amen? And we are sheep, amen? <laughs> <laughs> So true conversion comes from the inside out. It's not something that we force upon ourselves, but it's something that we are converted from the inside out. Amen? After about a month after I was saved, I went to my discipleship teacher and I told him, yeah, I don't think I'm saved. 
you know, I still have these so many evil thoughts in my head. I have lustful thoughts. You know, this is not, you know, someone that is saved is supposed to think like that. And he, he, he just smiled and he said, you know, when we are born again, our spirit becomes new, like no sin. We are new creations. Uh, our body remains the same. Actually, our body is decaying. But our soul, where our mind, intellect, and emotion lie, that is in a continuous state of renewal. So it takes time for you to continue to renew your mind, and the process of conversion takes a whole, uh, a whole lifetime. So just relax, you know, don't, don't, don't beat yourself up. And I was excited, I said, okay. And uh, after about three, four months, I uh, met up with some of my old friends. I, I had a transcript to pick up from Jimma, and a friend brought, brought it for me. And, when I went to uh, pick it up, they were at a bar and they were talking and I came and I sat with them and you know, I was just catching up and when I listened to their language, all the profanity and <laughs> the vile way that they were talking, I'm like, wait, these were my friends? <laughs> this was the group I came out of? And I said, thank you, Lord, I am converted, I'm changed, you know? Um, <laughs> So after that, I, I gained the confidence to uh, call my friends one by one and just witness what the Lord had done in my life. And uh, to date, uh, a couple of my friends came to the Lord uh, through my testimony through, from that group. Um, let's, let's look at James in this same vein. Let's look at James 2.14. Um, we usually don't like this verse as evangelicals. It feels like it's contradicting uh, with our faith. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Uh, down at verse 17, In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. You know, now this creates confusion. We're saying, okay, I thought we said faith by itself was alone. Why is James saying that it needs to be accompanied by deeds? But what is James talking about here? Imagine, uh, let's say, for Pastor Z comes over to me and he says, I've paid your bank debt. You know, I, I'll, I'll, I may react by saying, what bank debt? Why do you assume I have a debt? <laughs> you know, I might even be a little offended. <laughs> but imagine that I do have a bank debt. I put my house on uh, as a collateral, and I tried to do some business, and I failed, and the bank is foreclosing on my house, and I am at a stressful place, and I'm saying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then he comes to me and says, I've paid your bank debt, and I want nothing in return for it. Imagine the difference. Imagine what a sigh of relief that would be. How do you think my attitude will be to Pastor Z after that? You know, I'd show him respect. I'd, I'd probably invite him to my house some, with some Indian food. And, <laughs> you know, I, it would be, and I would have an attitude of gratitude towards him. So God is not asking us, okay, you know, you have to do this before you get this. No, he gave us everything at the beginning. We became sons and daughters. We, there is nothing more to receive. He has given us an identity, sonship, daughtership. Now, what's expected from us is to live a life of gratitude to our response. Our worship is in 
gratitude to him, not to earn something, but because it's finished. Uh, let, let me read an, another quote. Uh, I want to speak more to us who are the sons and daughters. Sometimes we uh, feel that uh, the free gift of grace, sometimes we take it lightly. Just because it's free, it's not cheap. It's a very, it's actually the most expensive thing. Uh, in the same book, uh, John Stott on the cross of Christ, he says, The same cross of Christ where we receive this free gift is the incentive to live a holy life. When we humble ourselves, our pride rebels and wants to contribute. But woe is me has to come before hallelujah. All right? Woe is me has to come. We said God is a God of integrity, right? If God is a God of integrity, then because of our sin, we need to receive the wrath of God. That was what was coming towards us. If we do not have a clear picture of the amount of wrath that was coming to us, then we might think that this gift, we might take it lightly. But when we understand the amount of wrath that was coming towards us had not been for Jesus dying on the cross for us, then... We see the value in that. Then we're able to, to, to uh, have an attitude of gratitude towards the Lord. And that becomes our incentive for the holy life. Amen. So here what we want to see is faith. This is my last formula. Faith as a cause results in transformation. But righteous acts as a cause results in filthy rags or a false humility. So this is what James is saying. He's saying that your transformation must be evidenced by fruit. Amen? So um, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter got up and preached the gospel to 3,000 people, it says that they were cut to the heart and they said, what must we do? Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what does repent mean? Repent. If someone was walking from Magananya to Boli, they stop in the middle of the road and they say, Father, forgive me, and they keep walking to Boli, that's not, that's not repentance. But when they turn around and they go back, they make an action, they, they make a decision. It's a decision that we make that makes our repentance true. So our faith means not just I believe, but it's saying that I believe in it so much that I am willing to direct my life towards that cause. So that's all that God wants and something that he will never take away from us is our free will. And when we take that free will and willingly give it to God, then we enter into the relationship with God. Then we are able to uh, be born as sons and daughters of the Most High. Uh, after a few months, I was uh, meeting up with a friend, and uh, uh, he said, yeah, you know, there's, a, there's this new place, and let's, let's check it out, let's grab some drinks. And I said, well, I don't drink anymore. And then he said, what are you, Pente now? And I said, actually, yes. And, uh, and then he says, oh, me too. And I'm like, what? 
what happened? And he said, yeah, we know, you know, like my uncle, he invited me to church. I went to the church, the pastor preached the message, and at the end, uh, they said, if you want to accept Christ, I went up and I prayed the prayer. And I said, okay, th then what happened? What happened in your life as a result of that prayer? And then he's like, you know, now I go to church on the holidays, you know, you know, I, I don't know, you know, he's like, no, he couldn't, he couldn't tell me anything. And then I said, then I explained to him, I went back to the things that I was talking about earlier, and I explained to him that true transformation has to be evidenced by an inner transformation, that your appetite has to change. You have to hunger the word of God. That comes naturally. And I explained all these things to him. And you know what he said to me? He said, I'm too young. <laughs> he said, said, I still have a lot of partying to do. And that, that was his answer. And I was sad to hear that because... You know, he does not know, he didn't understand that true joy was where God was. But when we come to God with true repentance, then that follows a true transformation. That's all God wants. He doesn't need to see the evidence of your work, and he doesn't need to see anything else. In the moment that you believe, in the moment that you make the decision, when you pray to the Lord to accept him as your personal Savior, at that moment, the whole, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you become born again, and from that moment on, everything changes. Amen? So I, I, hoped, uh, I hope I was able to uh, uh, tell you something new about how to more effectively share the gospel. Uh, I hope I've motivated you to share uh, this message with somebody this week. And if you're new today, I hope I've helped you understand the gospel message in a better way. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.